Hey everyone, as you heard in the last episode, I'll be continuing here with the fourth section of my reading of my latest article on the blog, Quarter 3, 2022, which you can find at mybest.net slash the platform, and it'll be the top one. So without further ado, here we go. Love helps us to, for a moment, remove our death anxiety and to feel invincible. This is a wonderful sentiment that Ernest Hemingway conveys to Gil, the protagonist, in the movie Midnight in Paris during one of his late night rides. You can see the clip in the blog post. In an otherwise light and funny movie, this bit floored me the last time I watched it. I never really caught it on the last two occasions that I watched the movie, but this time I was grabbed. I thought about it for a while and found it to be quite deep. What does it mean to truly love someone or something? How does our fear of death relate to love? Must we be conscious of our fear of death, or perhaps not fear death at all, to truly love? Perhaps because I am a romantic, but I found Hemingway's words to be quite true. Love, and by that I mean genuine, real love, has the ability to remove our fear of death, and the worst in the world. It gives us hope, and inspires us to face the world with our heads up high, ready to take on whatever we may confront. In every moment, the information that you have front and center in your mind is vastly limited, so be careful with your convictions and assertions. The amount you are not thinking about is vastly greater than what you are thinking. There is nearly infinite information in the world, which means infinite angles and variations through which we can see and make sense of reality. And just because there is infinite information in the world, it's not necessarily true that it's the right information or that it is all the information possible to gather about something. There's nearly always room for a significant breakthrough in knowledge, which could alter the way we make sense of the world. This information environment is not paralleled by the reality of what our brains are capable of doing and built to do. Our brains struggle when it comes to storing massive amounts of information. It is an unbearable load to even attempt to carry vast amounts of information about so many areas in their complex interrelationships. It is simply too much, and yet how easy it is to think we have it all figured out at any given moment. We so easily fall into thinking that we have all the information and that our quote-unquote truths are definitive and permanent. Beware of these illusions. Self-respect lies at the root of all valuable things. When listening to Andrew Bustamante, a former CIA spy, appear on the Lex Friedman podcast, Lex asked Andrew what the meaning of life was at the end of their conversation. Andrew answered with a curious and brief response. Self-respect. He mentioned that in a bar near the CIA headquarters, there's a chalkboard where the top reads, what is the meaning of life? And there are a number of responses underneath. The biggest and most common responses on that board was the answer he gave to Lex. Self-respect. He then described why he believes this to be true after giving his answer to Lex in which he reflected on the role of self-respect in our day-to-day lives and came to see that self-respect is a requirement to accomplish any goal worth pursuing. He also identified in his reflection that the outcomes we experience in life that are negative and draining are driven by a lack of self-respect. I found it to be a bit of a crude answer, but it is still quite useful. When I think about the things I do on a daily basis that are meaningful and that build me up, those behaviors are built upon a respect for myself. For example, I wouldn't eat well, commit to getting eight hours of sleep every night, exercise frequently, journal every night, 
and work hard in both my professional and personal lives if I did not have self-respect. If I did not respect myself, then there would be no point in doing these behaviors that I believed were practices that kept me healthy mentally and physically. Doing those positive acts means that I respect myself, and vice versa. It's a positive feedback loop. Identify the plateau and take it on. Halfway through my last three-month stint in Rio, I increased my mileage per run. For over a year, I had been running an average of about 4.2 miles per run, twice per week, with a rare but occasional run that went beyond that distance. I noticed that this was a plateau that I was staring at, lacking the initiative to push myself further. For this reason, I decided to change up my route to make it longer, extending it to 5.7 miles. Although I expected it to be quite a painful increase to endure, I ended up... It ended up being a much more bearable change than I anticipated. I increased it and held it at 5.7 miles per run all the way through the end of my time there. By the end of this period, I could feel that my lung capacity was much better than it was before. I started and that I was stronger, which made me grateful that I decided to take on the task of challenging myself in this way. This act led me to realize a couple of important things. First, the journey is usually less daunting than it appears when you start walking it especially when you have created mental barriers between yourself and the other side you're aiming for. Second, it's very hard to project how you will feel on the other side of doing the hard thing that you're struggling to step into right now. It's better to assume that how you feel right now could be very much improved if you were to take on a hard task and work at it. Even if you don't succeed to the degree you sought, you will still grow and improve. Doing good and feeling good are two very different things. The effective altruism movement uses this phrase a lot when they talk about what it means to do good in the world. When people donate to creating a water well in an African village or to financially supporting an orphanage on a Caribbean island, they feel a warm spot in their hearts. Or in other words, they feel good about what they've done. However, if you were to ask them what evidence they have for how much good was done with their donation, they're likely to shrug if they don't try to come up with some nervous response on the spot. Many philanthropic projects raise lots of money and simply fail to deliver scalable results to communities in need, all the while their donors feel good in their hearts about their donations and the idea of the good they are doing. Feeling really good about what we are doing does not necessarily mean that we are doing a lot of good, though. Ask for evidence from the places where you are trying to do good. There is a parallel point to this statement of doing good and feeling good are two very different things. When I'm feeling sore after starting a new strength training regimen at the gym, it doesn't necessarily feel good, yet I am in fact doing good by turning the corner and doing something good for my body in the long term. When I'm feeling a little anxious or uneasy as I reach the end of a 24-hour fast, the feeling doesn't equate to the good that I'm doing for my body's recovery and the regeneration of my microbiome. When I asked a loved one to talk about something that is concerning, I may feel uncomfortable and uncertain about where it will lead. But it is indeed a good thing to do in our relationship. There are countless personal examples in which the way we feel in the moment is not the same plane is not on the same plane as whether we are actually doing good by ourselves and others. Being aware of this can help us to get through the times where we are doing good but not feeling good. It is a matter of time and adaptation. Pushing through the moments of not feeling good to get to the other side can be transformative, as it opens the door to new horizons and new possibilities which we would have never been able to reach without those harder moments. 
And lastly for today, your life will be a lot better if you like, or at least try to like, your job. Whether it be in a capitalist, socialist, anarchic, communist, or other economic system, you'll have to work in some capacity inside of it. Whether that be as a farmer in a rice paddy, as a CEO of a software company, a teacher in a school, a funeral director, a nurse, or a client support associate at a department store, work will ensue. Because of this inevitable reality, along with the fact that we need to deal with ourselves and our internal states on a, const on a constant basis, it is clearly beneficial to us if we can enjoy the work that we do. It doesn't have to be your favorite thing in the world, even though that might not be so bad compared to other alternatives. But it should at least be something that you can find enjoyment and engagement in doing. And if your current job is something you have decided you don't like, I ask you to reconsider this for your own sake. Is your life better because you lament your job or the economic system in which your job exists? My educated guess to that question is no. So why hold yourself to that when our preferences can be malleable? There's always a new attitude we can adopt or some new behavior we can adopt to see how that affects our mood and experience. If you work in a client service job, perhaps you can try adopting a perspective of curiosity and asking your customers questions about their lives or make a joke to them to see if they laugh. If you are a nurse, see if you can find a new area of the hospital you can work in and adopt a new perspective of the work you are doing that is oriented toward the good you are doing rather than the bad you are seeing. If you're a teacher, ask yourself what it is that you dislike about your current job and the structures around it. Then do some research to see if there are blogs or forums of other teachers who are in similar positions. There is always something we can do to improve our lives. It just requires taking the first step to explore. Thanks again for listening. I hope that you're finding these to be valuable and that you're enjoying these. As always, lots of love, and I'll be back soon. In the meantime, take care. Cheers.